1,000 Better Stories. Welcome to 1,000 Better Stories, the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network's podcast sharing stories of community-led climate action in Scotland to help us all imagine a better and fairer future beyond the new normal and transform what we think is possible. Hello, I'm Kashka, your story weaver for today. Community climate action plans, what are they? How does one go about making a good one? And is it worth the hassle? To answer these questions over the next couple of episodes, we talk about Keep Scotland Beautiful's work with communities to help them with such planning. We get an overview of the project from the KSB's Heather Ashworth, and we follow with in-depth conversations with two very different community groups involved in the scheme. In today's episode, we hear from one of the pilot communities in the CCAP project, Sustainable Kirimur. And in a couple of weeks, we follow with the most recent participant, community of Camlin and Tamford Hill near Forkirk. They'll give us a great insight into the nitty gritty of what it takes to bring your community together around climate action and justice from scratch and how such planning works in practice, with lots and lots of tips to take away and try at home. As usual, any links to projects and resources we mention are included in the episode notes so that you can follow up on anything of interest. And please do like, subscribe and share to help us reach more people with our stories. Now, I spoke to Heather in October 2022 to give us an idea of the bigger picture. As usual, to kick us off, I asked Heather to share her own climate action journey with us. My name is Heather Ashworth and I am a projects officer at Keep Scotland Beautiful. So as part of my role, um, I lead on the Community Climate Action Plan programme that we run, um, but I also do a couple of other bits and pieces as well. So I also develop and deliver climate emergency training for a range of clients as well. So um, growing up, I always had an interest in climate, but Generally, I would say it was a passing interest and it particularly focused around waste and making sure I did all the correct recycling, that kind of thing. Um, so that's sort of where it started. But then in my last year of my undergraduate degree, I did a course on the politics of the Central Asian states. Um, and one of the assessments was looking at why the RLC was vanishing. So it's now a tenth of the size it was in the 1950s. And then the impact that the that that was having on the Central Asian states that it bordered, um, and doing that assessment, it really kickstarted my interest in the climate and how humans are having an impact on the environment. So then, once I realised I wanted to do that, I then realised I needed a qualification in environmental studies if I wanted to go any further. So um, after taking a year out, I did a master's degree in environmental sustainability um, at the University of Edinburgh. Uh, so then I was sort of hoping to be best place to get a job in the sector then. Um, and then, yes, I did an internship after my uh, degree um, and that was at Keep Scotland Beautiful. <laughs> and then I did, I had six months out from there and then I got the job as project officer there. But combating climate change for me is a real passion. 
and I actually work hard in both my professional and personal life to do what I can. Um, I also volunteer my time raising awareness and combating emissions in the football industry as well. That's a big passion for me. I love football and I realise that there's a lot of work to be done there. So I work a lot on that too. Uh, and that's me. Maybe you could tell us a bit more about uh, what is KSB and what they do in general. Yeah, absolutely. So Keep Scotland Beautiful is... Um, Scottish environmental charity um, and what we do is we work to combat climate change we tackle litter and waste and protect and enhance places and we work with a whole range of clients so we work with businesses charities communities and national and local government to support real action uh, that makes a difference um, so our vision we set out is for a clean green sustainable Scotland uh, we deliver eco schools uh, which is now rebranded as climate action schools uh, we do awards for parks beaches and communities so we have green and blue flag awards and we also have our beautiful Scotland and it's your neighbourhood programmes and we also deliver climate emergency training as I said and we do a lot of work coordinating campaigns to tackle litter. So that's us in a nutshell I would say. Lots and lots of good things. Now we're here to talk about community action plan programme that you're running. What are community climate action plans? We sometimes call them CCAPs as well for short. Um, they're plans that set out a range of climate actions that communities want to take. So examples of that could be teaching growing skills, um, creating toy libraries, um, supporting communities with energy savings advice, car clubs and then going up as far as community wind turbines and community solar farms so smaller actions to big scale actions um, the whole mix there um, and then we also work on how to get support for that and the partners that they might need um, that goes into plan and then also the time scales that they wish to take them in as well um, so yeah that's pretty much what a climate action plan is and what's the formats usually it's not a printed document. What we do is we give them a live document because the idea is that we give that them and then that's theirs and they can change it however they want. They can work on it. And the idea is that it's continuously changing to work and suit them. Um, it's not just something that then goes, oh, that's great. Put that on a shelf, hope to work towards it kind of thing. The idea is that as the community changes and evolves, the plan evolves with them. I've been hearing lots about community climate action plans. Why is it important for communities to have climate action plans, especially right now? Scotland's net zero target is to be net zero by 2045. And we're really keen that every community should have a community climate action plan because we all need to work together towards this uh, target. Um, and the idea is that if every community has this kind of plan, they're all reducing their emissions at the same time across the board. And then hopefully we'll be able to reach that target uh, as best we can. Individuals and residents, they know their own communities. They know the actions that would work and that are needed in their communities, as well as the actions that maybe wouldn't be suitable. Communities are also best at getting people on board to volunteer their time to help with climate action. It's much harder for an organisation to come in and try and engage a community than the community to work from the inside. The plans are good at giving the community a formal way of showing what they'd like to do going forward. That would help them to get the funding that they're looking for because they've got that formal document. Generally, the programme has been good at bringing people together in their communities um, and the plans were also very motivating according to the residents because they captured the work already being done by the community and allowed people to recognise the action that might have actually been being done for another reason can actually have a climate element to it as well. So it's really motivating for them to then go forward thinking, right, well, this is already happening. We can do this now. 
Uh, any examples of such pre-existing actions that are sort of um, climate actions by stealth? Yes. So um, Fergus Lee Park, um, they've got some actions that they're doing and they've really worked on showing how this is um climate action that they have um i think they call it a community market and people can come in and pay a certain amount and they can take what food they want and this is saving so much food waste from the local area um, and it's a really really great way of reducing emissions around food waste and um, so it's really like it's it's helping people save money but it's also got this really really great aspect of saving uh, food waste how do you uh, help communities to put them together what's your process I'll give you a little bit of background on the project first. So we started this program as a pilot in late 2020 to early 2021 with two communities. So that was Tavi Alec in Argyle and Butte and Kirumir in Angus. Keep Scotland Beautiful received further funding from the Scottish Government through Scotland's COP26 Community Engagement Programme. We ran this from um, the end of 2021 uh, to about April 2022. And these communities are uh, Arbroath, um, Fergusley Park in Paisley, Isla and Jura, Noidart in the Highlands, Newcastleton in the Scottish Borders, got shots in North Lanarkshire, Pollock Shield in Glasgow. And then from April this year, uh, we received further funding from the Scottish Government to continue to support the seven communities for another year. We were also able to support the initial two communities from the pilot as well, so we're working with all nine communities. Over the summer, we also run a CCAP programme for Camelon and Tamfer Hill and Falkirk, which we just completed in August. The communities all undertook seven workshops and they were all almost completely online because of lockdown. We we're still sort of on the edge of that. And um, so these sessions covered the basics of climate science and also inspirational case studies across Scotland. Um, and then we also had bigger sessions that ran through the many ideas that community could take up. And um, and then also we had a celebration at the end of the initial programme because it had been quite an intensive programme and we were just very thankful and grateful that they'd done this with us and that they got through the whole process. The culmination of the workshops was the creation of the Community Climate Action Plan document um, that laid out their previous and ongoing work as well as the actions that they wanted to take forward. Can you tell me what kind of groups they were and um, how they formed and how they ended up working with a with a planning process? I would say a good number of them were pretty much already established. Uh, for example, for the Arbroath CCAP, uh, we've been working with Arbroath FC Community Trust, uh, which is really interesting um, to work with that kind of uh, group. They got their uh, youth forum on board and the youth forum helped choose some of the actions and that kind of thing. They picked a lot of things around nature. They were looking at doing um, swift boxes. It was really nice to see because young people are obviously this is really important to them too um, and they were really keen to get on board that was great we've also worked with development trusts for example newcastle tenant district community trust and uh, south Isley development trust um, and then also general community groups and organizations such as getting better together shops and sustainable kirimir yeah we've also just worked with groups of people who would maybe never have come together otherwise again for example in shops they've got four people who have taken the core group and the plan there they look after it um, and they've never really spent time together before that and now they're all working together that was really great to see that we're bringing people together that maybe wouldn't normally be together we'll go back to heather later to tell us more about ksb's future plans but first let's hear from sustainable kirimio who I was lucky to be able to visit in person at the end of November last year, as I live just down the road. 
I met Kate and Christine at the Kiri community shopfront. As we shared a hot cuppa to warm us up on a cold day, they shared their insights into the planning process and what it's made possible for Kiri over the last couple of years. Where is it? Where is and it? Oh, look, you see, you being a bit late, it's now 12 degrees. It was so nine it was, when we came in. I think that's enough in there. <sighs> I think I must have known. Yeah. Do you take just a... Anyway, just we're just going just over to breakfast, OK? Builder, yeah. 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 And then over... Did you take... I always ask people how they came to actually take action on climate or interest in taking action on climate. So I wonder if um, you could briefly um, share your stories. Yeah, well, I mean, my story goes back to the 1980s and being in Edinburgh, I'm a singer. I'm a folk singer and I got involved musically with a woman called Janet Russell <clears throat> and um, also some other pals who were in Greenpeace. So. We actually ended up singing about you know, whales and extinction and planet and the use of nuclear um, power and all that kind of stuff. Then, I'm Christine Kidd and um, I live locally and I, I got involved over lockdown with the KSV process. And then more recently, um, as a volunteer with uh, Sustainable Kirimia, so I've been working with the Biodiversity Now Restoring Nature group and then generally supporting the project, which obviously I think is really important. I've always kind of been aware of it, but probably actually getting to action has been really through Sustainable Caring Year mostly, because I've been a very, very busy freelancer, so I've had an awareness. At the moment I've got quite a lot of time to do that because I'm not working right now um, because I've been ill and I've been treated. So um, so I've got a bit more time in my hands that I can gently do some some help. I'm Kate Monroe. I was part of many people who set up Sustainable Kerry. I started off as a zoologist uh, many, many decades ago. So I've always been aware of that kind of environmental degradation and yeah, planetary mess up. But um, I suppose for me it was 2019 and I saw a piece of footage on the BBC News um, and it was the flooding that occurred. There was a meteorologist working in Greenland and he had lost all his instruments under a single day's ice melt. And I kind of worked out it would have flooded the whole of Scotland to about a foot deep. And that had all gone in one day. And I, I just suddenly, it was a total tipping point for me I thought, well, that's not being managed. We are not in charge of this. This is in charge of us. And it just became totally obvious that um, I needed to be part of the solution. I was part of the problem. All of us have a footprint. And I'd always been aware of that and quite careful with things, so I thought. And then you suddenly realise that actually, no, politicians are not dealing with this. Uh, they need our boot up their backsides and so community groups have to contribute to that so uh, yeah that led to convening a meeting in the church there was about 20 people you know and out of that four years three years three and a bit years on we're um, yeah we've done loads of stuff never enough uh, yeah, that's how I came to be sitting here talking to you <laughs> So it was all created very specifically to take action on climate 
change. Is that right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Before we go on to talking about the climate action plan and how that's sort of fed into your activities, I thought I'd ask you to paint a picture of um, what Kirimir is like. Oh, I feel I, I don't feel I can speak for this community because I've well, not been here that long. But um, well, I've only been here for twenty-two years, so I'm right. You kick off. I'm an incomer. <laughs> I think what is interesting about Kiri is that it's it's very diverse. I mean, you've got people here who are incredibly poor. You can see it. And then you've got people who are actually amazingly wealthy as well, all around either in Kerry or in the in the local area, which kind of means it's it's you know there there is something very real about Kerry. It feels to me, you know, there are other places you'd go where you'd sort of feel that it was quite a lot of privilege, but here, I think everything kind of stares you in the face, and um, I think that's good. And I don't think it's not good that people are poor, but what I think it it means that for an organisation like. Sustainable Kerry Muir, that is a really interesting kind of catalyst to think about. I'll just say, I mean, it's a beautiful little town, Kerry Muir. It's got some great architecture in it. It's got some great people, and there's a lot of organisations, aren't there? Mm. Um, yeah, so people lot. do things, but they don't. You don't always feel that like everybody doesn't come together. Yeah. at the same time terribly we, much but there's yeah. a lot going on when we looked into it i think there was over 50 community groups here doing all sorts of different things so i think that's a reflection of the diversity yeah um, also it's it's a little town on the edge of the mountains really yeah so you've got very close at hand um lots of outdoor space I think even just taking the kids to the play park, right, the, the one here at the top of the hill is surrounded by these beautiful hills, you can see the woods. It, it, it's like being out in the wilds without going anywhere, you know, mm. you're just in the play park. It's a, an incredible setting. So I always think that's really nice for, for families to experience that, but then whether they keep that connection as they grow up. Mm -hmm. you know, my daughter's off school today, sitting at home, latched into some screen or other I should think. I know at some points when I've been working really hard I'd kind of forgotten that we've got this amazing wood of trees up the road there that you can just nip up to in, in sort of 15 minutes and and actually go into this incredible wood you know you can go and get some wild raspberries there. Now what I've noticed is that like every generation we get less and less connected with the outdoor space. Yeah. It, it's still there but getting people out into it, getting that habit of connecting with nature is, mm -hmm. is definitely changing. Maybe something the organisation can do is just actually almost like walk people out to the, these places and uh, and look at what we've got here and how we can enhance what's already there that's really close by. And I think we're doing that already, aren't we? So you, you got some funding initially before you got to develop your climate action plan is that right yes we did we got it was keep scotland beautiful climate challenge fund the deadline was three weeks after we set up the organization so i remember cycling around with little bars of fair trade chocolate to all the people that became the committee that formed the organization because we had to do that really quickly to then write an application really quickly yeah because i suppose it's that way where once you decide just get on with it you know? I'm, I'm very much like take the first step and see what happens. You've no idea what the right steps are. Nobody had done this stuff. We weren't experienced in any of it. That's the way that we try and work. I think that makes us quite responsive, which is helpful. Um, 
But yeah, so we put that in, we got through to round two, so we had a couple of months mm. to think up more about what we were going to do. And it was that thing of looking at what are the, how can we have the most impact with this money? So what are the areas that we as a community can tackle to make the biggest cut in emissions? Because anyone who knows about the Climate Challenge Fund knows they were very careful about recording your impact. And that was a really, really good place to start because they were brilliant at supporting us. And yeah, the other little fly in the ointment was um, COVID. Because obviously we'd <laughs> we settled on uh, growing food and cutting food waste. That was the two parts of the project that we mm. wanted to do. And I think COVID happened like three weeks after we got the grant. So we were meant to do a community garden with lots of people and then suddenly we couldn't. So we just had to reimagine it. Mm -hmm. So we did. Then sent out 60,000 seeds out to people to grow at home. And then developed this whole kind of thing to support growing at home and eventually we did get back together and keep growing and uh, yeah, so it's fine. But it is that mm. thing of just, you know, climate will teach us how to adapt because it it's changing all the time. Mm. So being fast and light, I suppose, in that way is quite good. Yeah. yeah. Certainly that pushed me on, I think, a bit with my growing as well, as getting those seeds and, you know, finding varieties that were working, spinach and, and leeks and things like that. And it was like, yay! You know, so it was great to have that expertise there it just makes you kind of want to do more and more. It made me think about, oh, what else could I grow? And that's kind of partly, I think, why I got involved in the biodiversity group was then looking to see what could I contribute there, just in terms of, you know, how could we, could we get kids more connected with nature by planting um, wildfire seeds actually in the town so that even if your mum and dad or whoever looks after you couldn't take you somewhere that you'd still be able to experience some of kind of nature rather than managed land actually within the town mm. and that's one of the things we're still kind of working on our um, mm. what were we going to call it again oh pollination stations yeah, oh, the benefit of COVID was also that we meant to do all our food waste stuff in schools and because of that, COVID, schools were shut, couldn't do that. But the Kerry Food Hub set up during COVID to support people um, in difficulties uh, with food security at that time. And so that was the most positive collaboration ever because they were getting all the supermarket food waste, they were getting mm -hmm. donations, they were getting loads of stuff coming in. And so the partnership that we set mm. up with them and they're now, obviously they're flying now, they keep doing it, so they're saving a ton of month of food waste. So yeah, that's amazing. That yeah. wasn't us, that was their hard work really. I suppose that's the other thing that we set up really early was uh, we don't have to do it, but if we can help other people to do it, uh, you know, but yeah, that was all happening with all of the, I think they had, you know, 20 volunteers. Mm. It takes a That's lot of effort. Yeah. So you already were on the path of climate action. Yeah. And, and then it. how did you then decide to put together the climate action plan? I'm going to name and shame Alan Brown because he was our development officer at KSB 
and he was talking about these. We used to have these wonderful conversations once a week on a Tuesday morning and he mentioned that they were doing this and me being me, I just kind of went, oh, well, we'll do that then. Can we do that? <laughs> so I think there was some sort of application process, which we probably just may sent it in and, and, mm. and happily we were one of the first with Tevalik as well. Um, so yeah. It was great because you were, we were all doing that, you know, see a human being on the screen again thing. It, it was a tricky thing to design a workshop like that online, but he did a good job actually. I think it was really, really good because it, it did bring people together in the community, just that process. So in a way, you know, a really positive thing about this terrible thing that's happening was it actually has kept people connecting uh, all the way through. Um, you know, the terrible thing about climate change and the terrible thing about COVID, both of those things actually did conspire, that we were all just doing this stuff and, and you know, you guys kept driving. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, and I suppose one of the things I also learned, which was really good lesson for me, was that one of the exercises we were given to do was to sit somewhere in the town, I think, and imagine walking around the town, who was there, what were they doing? And it was that visualizing the future. And I had never done that before. And I remember sitting and it actually made me cry because I sort of thought what a powerful tool that is. Now I know that some people in the group didn't like doing that, didn't work for them, but I think the visualizing of, of what the possibilities are is really, really, key and uh, the more I go into this climate stuff I think that's what we need to deliver for people communities governments schools we all need to paint that picture better for everybody so that you can see that it's totally possible change is not linear you know we can all leap to it when we need to and we need to we did it for covid people knuckled down and changed everything overnight yeah I think that's absolutely right but, you know, yeah, I do think there's a slice of, you know, people getting joy and being motivated together in order to make all that important stuff happening. So it's about the destination and it's about the way that you get there. So how did you decide who's going to be involved in the climate oh, planning? Oh, this is a good one. I love this question. Mm. Do you want to answer or shall I? Um, I don't think I know the answer. You better crack oh, on Oh, well, this. the answer is, and I said this because there was lots of discussion, right? We started and we invited as many people as we could think of who might be interested. Now, as everybody knows, lots of people you think might come or might be interested are not interested and don't come. So the big story is that the people who turn up are the right people. And as you go forward, some of them drop out, some of them come in and out. The people who turn up are the right people. I've been reading all this stuff recently about fractal things. And so for, for community action, it's how do we create a space where people feel safe to do this and confident and empowered and all of that stuff. And then they all go out and do it in their space. And it, it, it just becomes this repeating pattern of mm. uh, change, which is the way we need to go. You don't have to control it. That's the other thing that I feel really passionate about is that we don't control what people want to do or what happens here. That has to come from people here. Now, mm. I am one of those voices, but I'm just one, and there are many, and we need it to be many. It's that thing of nature is diverse. Nature is strong when it's diverse. So when we tackle all of this, we need to be 
diverse in order to be appropriate because we never know quite what's going to work. Lots of things are going to work. We need all of it. So keeping that open space is really mm. important. Maybe it doesn't matter if everybody doesn't understand the huge, big picture. I'm not particularly knowledgeable, but I'll, you know, I'll kind of do what I can um, to, to learn and then just try and do some things that might be useful and helpful. You did lots of hard work doing the Climate Action Plan. Oh no, it's no hard work. We don't do hard work. Hard work is the industrial model. Hard work. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And um, so what what shape did it take? What what did you sort of focus Mm. on? Well, there's another lovely bit of it was the cards, the pack of cards. Do you remember that, Mm -hmm. Christine? Yeah, that was good. And so it was like, right, deal the cards. And the cards had all the possible options that Alan or someone else could think of about what we might do. So everything, huge, big ticket, wind turbines, or tiny, I will get on my bike, or learn to cycle, or, mm-hmm. you know, so, so at all levels, at all kind of complexities, at all price tags, and then we sat around on Zoom and picked the ones we liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we put them in a matrix. How hard are they? How long are they going to take? How expensive? Mm-hmm. And then we picked out things that we would concentrate on. It was actually a really good process because I mean, we ended up with um, you know a bunch of stuff that's now on the website, so you can look to see um, you know where where everybody's got to with a certain mm-hmm. thing. It was it was just like a fantastic audit of what we were already doing, where it could be improved. The whole process meant that you could look to see where the, the low-hanging fruit was and then you could look to see how, you know, oh, that's a bit more difficult. Are we going to be, are we realistically going to do that within five years? So I guess, it, you know, it was a very, very good process and it's formed the basis of a, of the work then there that's that, that's on the website there. You go in and you can go, oh, oh gosh, did I say I would do that? You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, sometimes sometimes being organised is a really good thing, but our, our kind of commitments are just in a list. It's really, really simple. Anyone can do it. Normally you put it on a piece of paper and lose it, but Fiona puts it on the shared drive and, yes. d- and doesn't lose it and then we check it every uh, month and or Fiona two. is yeah. she is the Administrator. Administrator but so much more. She's yes. very, very organised and committed and focused and all the things that lots of us are not. <laughs> I don't like the way she, she looks at me like the way she says that. <laughs> You've got all the commitment out of me you can get at the moment, I'm yes, afraid. That's it, that's it. So it sounds yeah. like a useful process. So what did you come up with in terms of, sort of wider areas for action? Well, what we came up with and taking it forward was different groups of people leading on different things. Often we talk about leaders and it's some, some, some sort of charismatic superhero and I think, no, that's a load of rubbish. What you need is lots of people interested in lots of different things that they all lead on. So like Christine and Anne have been totally central to all our work on biodiversity. Um, and then we've got um, Malcolm and some of his colleagues and co-workers who are doing the energy stuff and then we've got people working on resources and waste and travel a team oh, we've got loads of yeah so people doing sustainable um, active travel so there's lots of work on bikes 
there's and also e-bikes food growing and, I guess it's yeah. yes food lots growing, food growing and then and there's food also waste. about um, there's also issues about um, about fast fashion and slow fashion and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and, um, and I think well I remember Alan saying this as soon as you write it it becomes out of date and, and that is totally true so whatever we thought we might do you just go where people want to take it and mm, yeah. the energy that they have to, to keep delivering that and you know I think allowing that to stop and start or hopefully not stop and start but just change develop into new things that people want to do yeah, yeah. so mm. is there any projects that came out of this planning that your favorite or unexpected outcomes we did a yeah. fashion show with the schools which was lovely with Southmere and I think it was 150 t-shirts there was quite a lot of energy for sustainable fashion looking at reusing things I just remember the day the kids went mad <laughs> and they loved doing it and it, we were very happy to get a sunny day for it so they were all outside hundreds of chairs lined up either side kids doing their runway thing with their uh, t-shirts new t-shirts old t-shirts re up upcycled I guess is the word I mean it's ongoing I suppose that's the thing it never stops mm. so we start this process and we just keep going and I think the biodiversity stuff's been really positive do you want to say a bit about that? Um, <laughs> it's just I'm involved with biodiversity and I know not a great deal about it, but um, I'm enthusiastic. Um, well, I guess uh, we'd started to look at the idea of um, the wildflower planting when I got involved and um, and then Anne really pushed forward with the, the, the bio blitz. And um, so I've was involved what, what, in what is bioblitz bio it's, it's well to my mind as far as i understand it's it is kind of like a an audit like a snapshot count of what was within the town which is a really interesting idea to be going what biodiversity is there in the town of Kirimuir? um because you know to say that nature is here not just you know in the environs but it's actually you know it's about your town as well um so that was a very diverse event. There was a, a nature hub in one of the local halls, and then there was a number of accounts that took place by experts and other ones that took place where the public could join in. So I think it was a, a really, it was a very, very ambitious plan that the group had come up with. But um, in the at the end of the day, it actually did work um, very well. Because ideas, you know, sometimes you kind of go, if you have a hundred ideas, you should probably try and deliver about 50 of them, you know, that kind of idea in, in my mind. So it, it was, but I love the fact that you just go 50. Yeah, not one, not two. I'm with you, I'm with you. It was so funny yeah. sitting in those meetings because I remember Anne and she was so meticulous and she would go, Yes, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And she kept going, oh, and maybe we could add... And she kept adding things to this list. I was like, well, I'm not going to put anybody off. I'm not going to say no. Yes. <laughs> so it was uh, it was interesting in terms of what do you try to deliver with, you know, with the capacity that you have. But you know. it, it came off. It, it was really good. So the, that also gives us then data to say, for the council's program of spraying and cutting 
Yeah. The bit that they didn't cut was full of all sorts of bees. Now, mm. the people from Bug Life came and told us the name of all the fancy bees yeah. and bugs and things. So the bit they'd mowed... Nothing. Nothing. You couldn't... Nothing. No. But the bit where all the bugs were, you could hear mm-hmm. them flittering about and buzzing and, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was busy. Mm. And I think, well, that is obvious to me and to the council. You don't need a degree in zoology to notice that this one you can hear and this one is silent. You yeah. know. So <laughs> uh, we, we need to have those conversations then with the council because they have objectives to meet targets, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, commitments. And so they, I would say that's about then developing those relationships so that you can get more action. They want it, we want it. Mm. Can we have a conversation about how this is okay for people? Because I know that, yeah, they're very aware that they don't want people to say no, they don't want people to say it's messy, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's just relearning what is a better way of doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the thing is that, um, like working with the council and actually just trying to keep the conversation open so that, you know, frustrating as, as it might be, even, you know, so I think it's recognising that, that it's not a kind of us and them, but it's, it's us all together. And even just shifting the narrative just a little bit and a little bit and a little bit on... Um, or a big bit. And big, big bits bit. sometimes. And that's that's the other thing, is like we're all so different in our approaches to stuff. And, at, at, you know, women got the vote because suffragettes went to prison and were forced fed, you know, so and, and that was one approach. And then there was other things that happened politically at the time as well that, that actually just meant women ended up getting the vote. So and I think if you almost like look at it in the same way, it's like you're going to have just all these different approaches which eventually, hopefully, will get us somewhere really positive. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like whose voices are not at this table? Well, uh, there's no young people here. So we try and do a lot of work with schools. One of the things which we did which was amazing to me was that the young people did um, a banner making sessions at school and then mm. they did their climate marches mm-hmm. for COP26. Mm. And my goodness, what did that unleash? Amazing. Just voices. They had a voice. And I thought, if nothing else, these young people know that they have a voice and they know how to use it now. Mm. Now, how they choose to use it is up to them. I, I think we were trying to be very careful in that it was not for us to tell them what they wanted to say on their banners or, or you know, but they're all aware enough and that and it's like protecting what you love. I mean, it's really basic, isn't mm. it? I'm going to bring it back to the Climate Action Plan. You obviously enjoyed the process and it was productive. Did it help you with getting the funding? We had two great years with the Climate Challenge Fund and then that came to an end. So that was all our work in schools, mostly. Um, and then we did the Climate Action Plan and then I wrote the... We did an application to the Loughry Community-led fund. It wasn't a climate fund at all. So that because this process had all been about engaging with anyone who was interested, um, in our community and it came from a lot of different voices really as many as we could find mm. uh, it formed the basis of our uh, lottery fund bid and happily we got that three years is it two two years two years and we also got some together for our planet so we got two lottery funds 
uh, and that's two more years work. Mm -hmm. And the wonderful thing about community-led fund is that if our community decide that they want to do something different, that the, their priorities change over that two years, then we can just tweak it, move it, um, go where the energy goes. Mm. Can so, I just add yeah. something in about the staff? It's a fantastic volunteer committee and um, the staff are all very nice. And they're all very committed and um, the posts that are in place are, are just great. You know, you've got um, Amanda is on sort of um, so health and well-being is her one of her major things, isn't it, from Voluntary Action Angus. And, um, and Emily is a full-time gardener. I mean, what a joy, what a delight. Um, you know, and then Fiona kind of holding it all together. I think all I'm trying to say is it feels fantastic as a member of a community to think that we've got those people in there with those you know with those different remits mm. and um, it it does give you a massive sense of support thinking oh you know and this is important enough for these people to get jobs doing it and you know and and that the committee uh, who manage all this do I, I mean I just I'm totally wrong at the very beginning from the outside it looked like a really good kind of like kick-ass organization just in terms of the way uh, you presented yourselves and everything it just looked it looked like a cool funky place to be you know well organized branding and everything I love that <laughs> idea it's just this little swan that's pedaling like <laughs> <laughs> and you yeah. just see the glide <laughs> yeah but that, and that's really important though that people do see the glide you know and um, because I think people want to know that they can contribute to the level that that they feel they can at that point contribute so they don't necessarily want to be working the legs, they just want to be kind of swimming alongside when they can and then coming back in when they can, you know, so... Yeah. Well, I, I, it's funny actually, because <clears throat> in all of this, we've tried really, really hard not to make it hierarchical, not to make it confrontational or competitive, and it is that way of, like, I keep imagining <clears throat> that the geese are, are flying, right, and sometimes somebody's at the front and then somebody else comes at the front for different things, and, yeah. and by that <clears throat> way we all keep going, because what we do is really, really hard yes. and exhausting, and I think mm. we need more people to do it, so we yeah. cannot make it a tiring, horrible thing to be in this. We no. have to make it a kind of and a good, you know, the path we travel has to be quite joyful, I suppose. Oh, absolutely! There's no point in doing it if it's not fun as well. It's got exactly. to be part of the whole celebration of life, really. I've certainly found that, you know, because I'm on a health sabbatical, it's allowed me to kind of come in and out, use some of my skills um, and also learn quite a lot of things as well. I suppose it's like, you know, there's a bigger picture obviously, but I think if at the same time you're enhancing, you know, my life's been hugely enhanced by this process, so it's, you know, at quite a tricky time for me, so, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm just waving, there, I'm doing the big jazz hands because yes, you can't see so that. You can't there, see there's it, you the can't joy, see. there's the joy. I don't think any of us are people that want to sit and behave ourselves, you know what I mean? It's that thing, we, we want to be doing something that feels important, that feels proactive, that is proactive, and then, um, you know, hang with some interesting people at the same time, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, yeah. I, I'm beginning so to sound like, Climate change process can be fun. There's <laughs> <laughs> propaganda video starts now. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what areas did you get funded then? From so, Emily does growing. So, she's now, because the 
peculiarities of the community-led fund, the lottery money cannot be used in schools. So we were trying to find other ways to keep the school growing, going, but we cannot use the lottery money for that. Um, so she now works in the community garden. It's a lovely south-facing field and um, that's been run all the time we had the previous funding, but it was led by Ruth Watson. And um, now Emily is kind of stewarding it with a lot of volunteers and Ruth. They're a good crowd and you can go there for whatever reason, whether you just want to have a cup of tea and a chat or whether you actually want to you know, get down in the soil and do stuff. It, it's lovely. It's a lovely space and it hopefully it delivers for food for people as well, you know. Mm. Um, and I suppose that's the other thing which I feel like sometimes maybe got lost in the schoolwork is that what we do, how we grow food is as important as what we grow, you know. So it is a regenerative process and I suppose that's what we're trying to do as an organisation is be really regenerative. The action plan helps us to keep that focused on how we do it so that we're not adding to the the burden of climate or or environment or or people stress we've done quite a lot on the biodiversity stuff so we do a lot of skill shares uh, so in the growing that's maybe how to compost seed saving so we've got a seed library in the library library and we've done some training so some people in the community know how to do that we had this community climate resilience network Ooh. Ooh. which is just a fancy name for a bunch of people who can do useful things. Mm -hmm. So that is people who know how to grow food, how to compost, how to save seed. It's not like we're going to become this kind of living in the wilderness town, but it, it is like, what are the skills? I, I, I suppose when we're looking for staff or we're looking for volunteers, we try and keep it local. So if we can't find the people to do the thing we want to do, then we want to train them up. Mm. in a way mm. so that you don't have to get on a bus and travel three hours to to come and do this thing mm -hmm. you you want it to happen here i don't know if this is often a tangent but i'm, I'm oh, we love a tangent totally <laughs> tangenting but but uh just to say i'm really excited about the community cooking aspect oh yeah as well gosh, because yes, um, that's something we've gone into yeah mm. so there are some trained community cooks I mean, that could be a very interesting way in, in getting more volunteers involved is actually getting the community cooking events when they, when they yeah, get up so and running. Yeah, so we're starting that. Mm -hmm. Well, we've got a kind of introductory event in January, haven't we? And then we're doing weekly, I think we're going to run it here, drop in and, and cook uh, mm -hmm. seasonal stuff. Yeah, it was something that came from people that they wanted to learn mm -hmm. the community cook it training and that was done in conjunction with the NHS locally. So it's basically, there's now a team of people who can help deliver nutritious, cheap, seasonal. Yeah, it just, it feels, it's so important, not just because of, of climate crisis, but also, you know, cost of living crisis. And it seems like a really neat way of bringing those things together mm -hmm. to everybody to come to cook together, be in a warm space. I guess my idea was that everybody could go home with a curry and be fed a soup. So yeah. it's just that, that, and that sense of this is not about 
this is not about poverty it's not about it's need about it's abundance. about community yeah. it's abundance, about using yeah. abundance and support connection all that kind of stuff and you and go so, home you yeah. know, having contributed you know chopping a, an onion or whatever and you go home and you think well that was that was a really positive experience it's not not about being needy it's about being empowered and i think yeah. i think it's a really i'm really looking forward to seeing how that is going to develop and i'll be very happy to get involved and with that yeah so they're already so we support a little bit just with um obviously one of our volunteers um mm. at the field is a sh- trained chef and is now supporting doing food mm-hmm. for the Super Tuesday, the church run a kind of mm-hmm. soup. Yeah, uh, and the food hub have done hub. some out, outdoor yeah. Yeah. cooks where you know the, the people. Have oh yeah, the community up and cookers did a. Community oh, that cookers. was brilliant. Yeah, well, it was good. Yeah. So there, that was um, yes, I'd forgotten about them. So many things going on. Well, the Rotary now run the clothing bank, don't they? Yeah. So yeah. that's been them. So it's like it's just enabling other people to do stuff. I think in a way, partly. Well, you're just building capacity, aren't you, within the community? Often, like a, t- a traditional organisation, will have a hierarchy, yeah. and yeah. things stop because the person or people at the top haven't got round to deciding about something. Yes. So that just puts the brakes on. Yeah. But when you try and just say, right, you're a team, go and do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We need a big Kaylee. <laughs> I know we do. God, we were bring everyone together. Well, we are in <laughs> January. We've got a, and we've got a thing on the tenth. The is pot, it? potluck, potluck. That'll be nice. Bring a dish. Bring a dish. Yeah. Yeah. Final question: Why do you think communities will make the real difference in making sure we act on climate change? Because action is drawing on the passion of individuals who will just get on with it and find ways of making things happen at the grassroots and won't necessarily be trammeled by in a way a community member might not have the barriers that they'll be able to see the challenge and go for it and be a bit lighter about it than maybe somebody who's in office as a politician or a council officer or whatever so I think there's something there about passion and drive and my god a sense of urgency yeah you can't put this work into a job description right you can but if you say it it has to happen nine to five it's never going to get done Mm -hmm. right so it has to matter to people and people live in places and so the more you can bring it into how it makes their place their belonging their roots here and now better mm-hmm. and all change happens from the grassroots mm-hmm. look at history all the time every time the people up the tree are not going to care until we tell them to care mm-hmm. so we have to tell them to care now then retired so we've tried to bring it back to life um so yeah we um are standing at the entrance to the community garden where we've got a little wildlife nature area and sort of chill out area. Um, one of the volunteers sort of looks after that and keeps the bird feeders and baths and things topped up and sort of does all the, the cut flowers and pretty stuff. And we've got the, the sales shed here, um, which is sort of our office slash selling produce and communications, all the sort of diary and notice board and things is in there um, and then as you walk up 
further up the big hill <laughs> we have a potting shed just in front of us and the kludgy which is our composting toilet and our polytunnel after the interview i was lucky to be shown around st mary's field community garden that was Fiona Cameron, the project administrator, walking me up the entrance path to meet Emily Hutchinson, Kiri's community gardener. It was so lovely to be able to visit in person and get a real feel for the place and the people. And I hope that some of their great energy came through in this story. Check out the Kiri plan and other resources in the episode notes. And don't forget to tune in in a couple of weeks to hear from the new arrivals at the Community Climate Action Planning scene, Camlin and Tamferhill, and the very different journey into climate action. To see us out, I want to leave you with Emily's tour of what's growing at St Mary's Field. We've our garlic, so that's just gone in the past couple of months. Um, and then we've got our rhubarb, but I'm wanting to move that into sort of a shadier part of the garden because this is the south-facing side, um, so I'm just wanting to move that down. We've got some celeriac here, um, and then all of our fruiting shrubs. We've got gooseberries, blackcurrants, redcurrants, um, and then strawberries as well. We're hoping to do a couple of green manure plots as well. We've got um, field beans to go in, and then also aquadulce um, oh, broad beans. That? They are amazing. So we, we tried them at the um, Northmere last year, and they survived all the frost. They came up, <laughs> survived all the frost, and then um, we had beans like in the end of April, early May, That's and that was amazing. like one of the first crops. That was really cool. So yeah, when so did we'll you have to put them in? We put well. We put those ones in. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like and maybe even a review. It will really help us reach a wider audience. If something exciting is happening in your own community, be sure to let us know so that we can help you tell your own story. Or maybe you would like to join our brand new storyteller collective. You can drop our story weavers a line at stories at scottishcommunitiescan.org.uk. To keep up to date, check out our website at scottishcommunities.org.uk or find us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram or simply sign up to the newsletter.